Welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Bruno Peo. Dr. Peo is one of the world's leading scientists in terms of stem cells, both from a theoretical and fundamental perspective, as well as applied stem cell therapies. Dr. Peo is a professor of orthopedic surgery at UCLA and professor and chair of vascular regeneration at Edinburgh University. Dr. Peo, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you very much. Perhaps I should say welcome back, because I remind our listeners that back in May of 2007, podcast number 32, Dr. Peo joined us to speak about some of his exciting developments at that time. So, Dr. Peo, there's a lot that's happened since May of 2007. There's a lot of hope. There's been, unfortunately, some hype in terms of potential stem cell therapies. There's the discussions about embryonic stem cells versus adult stem cells. Perhaps you can begin by just telling us where your focus area is. One of our main interests is the basic biology of stem cells. We are eager to use as many models as possible. I mean, you have really to make a difference between the stem cells you can use for experimental work and the other considerations you have to take into account when you are interested in transplanting stem cells in a human being. So in terms of basic research, we use a broad variety of fetal stem cells, of adult stem cells, and we are also starting, like most investigators in the field, in fact we are a little late in this respect, working on reprogrammed iPS cells. So what are iPS cells? They are stem cells which have been derived by genetic reprogramming from adult differentiated cells. So this has been demonstrated a few years ago by a group in Japan that you can transfer a small number of genes that will reprogram differentiated mature cells, cells like a fibroblast, into a multipotent stem cell that resemble an embryonic stem cells. In other words, you reset the clock completely and you restart from the stage of very early multipotent stem cell. So I recall that a number of years ago you published with your colleagues a pioneering paper that showed that an excellent source of stem cells was from blood vessels. Is that correct? Oh, yes. So this is the work that we started in Pittsburgh about six, seven years ago. And we continue working extensively on these blood vessel-derived stem cells on the basic aspects of their biology and also on their possible use as therapeutic stem cells, as regenerative stem cells in human patients. So these are what you call perivascular cells? Exactly. And what's the difference between a perivascular cell and an iPS cell? So what we have shown is that around blood vessels exist a population of cells named the pericytes. So these cells are normally arranged at the periphery of the smallest blood vessels, the capillaries, the microvessels. And these cells play a role um, in angiogenesis, which is the development of the vasculature. 
notably the sort of stabilized networks formed by blood vessels. But what we have found is that these cells, at least when you separate them from their normal blood vessel partner, that these cells can become multipotent stem cells. So in a way, I mean, your image is interesting because maybe it's a sort of reprogramming also. But if it is, um, it's a reprogramming that we do not control at all, if not by just separating physically the cell from its native blood vessel. You see what I mean? To make an iPS cell to reprogram, you have to transduce a number of stem cell genes into the differentiated cell. Here what we do is that we just physically separate these pericytes from the blood vessel and we observe that they become multipotent stem cells. So the big question is, where they already stem cells around the blood vessels? This is, I would say, relatively unlikely. We rather assume that their stem cell potential is completely inhibited, repressed, when they are natively associated with the blood vessel. And by separating the cells from the blood vessel, we lift this band, this repression, and so indirectly we sort of wake up this developmental potential. So the multipotency is important because you want to, if I can use the lay language, coax these cells into being different types of tissue. Is that exactly, correct? Exactly, exactly. Now, it is possible that these cells also in normal life, in normal conditions, do play a role as stem cells. And in fact, the first publication suggesting that this is the case appeared recently, and this is in the field of muscle regeneration, when a group has demonstrated that these pericytes in the muscle, if you injure the muscle, are indeed directly involved in muscle regeneration and produce a progeny of myofibers to replace the damaged muscle. So this is very interesting because it is the first actual demonstration, um, experimental proof, that these cells can be, in fact, involved in tissue regeneration in normal life. Very interesting. So I'm sure we could spend a long time talking about the theory of these various types of cells, but in the interest of time and the interest of, I think, our general audience, let me ask a couple of more applied questions. So I know there's certainly scientific curiosity in embryonic stem cells, but I sense from the remarks I've heard you make and the activities I see elsewhere that there's more activity in moving proposed therapies closer to clinical assessment using adult cells than embryonic cells. Is that a fair assessment? Well, there has been some uh, recently, some maybe disregard for the use of embryonic stem cells because they are the, you know, they are the bad guys in a way in the field, not as a model, they are wonderful stem cells to work with, but in terms of medical applications, when you want to use not animal ES cells, but human ES cells, you must start from a very, very early human embryo uh, to derive these cells. And this has raised a considerable debate. So ethically, many people consider that it's totally unacceptable, let's say, to use this cell derived from 
an early human embryo. So there is a very strong discrepancy regarding the suitability of these cells for uh, use in human therapy. However, I have to add that it is true that in terms of actual uh, usability for therapeutic approach, I mean, these cells so far have not maybe met all the expectations that people are putting on these cells. It's quite possible that embryonic stem cells, in fact, are worth much more than some people said. It remains that the ethical debate and the ethical potential problem remains and that some people will never accept that these cells be used therapeutically. So let's focus our discussion on adulterized stem cells because I think you have some examples of where these cells may be approaching the point that therapies might be clinically available. So if... You were to look forward to the next five years. What might we see in adult-derived stem cells in various types of therapies? If I refer to the cells we are working on, these blood vessel-associated stem cells, one very good point is that since they are associated with blood vessels and since blood vessels are present in all organs, almost all organs, uh, these cells are also present everywhere, which means that uh, if you want to harvest these cells for a medical application, you can choose a tissue which is easy to access uh, without any harm for the patient, uh, without any danger, a tissue which is dispensable. So this is, in a way, very comfortable. It used to be that bone marrow should be harvested to collect some stem cells. A bone marrow harvest is not something neutral. It can lead to complications, it can be painful, uh, it needs general anesthesia. In the case of these blood vessel-associated stem cells, you can derive them from the fat, for instance. The fat is accessible, it's easy to aspirate, it's dispensable. Most people have enough fat, you know, for thinking of such a source of therapeutic cells. So this is a good point regarding the use of these cells. Another very convenient source of these cells is all the tissues, all the fetal appendages. When the baby is born, a number of tissues like the placenta, the umbilical cord blood are usually discarded. These tissues, which are very, very well vascularized, very richly vascularized, many blood vessels are also a very interesting and rich source of these stem cells. So on the one hand, we have a wide variety of tissues we can choose from as a source for these cells. So that's the good news. We have a bunch of sources of cells that are multipotent. Yes. And have opportunities for various therapies. So yes. let me go back to my question. If you want to get your crystal ball out, and from your scientific perspective, what might we see potentially in cell-based therapies in the next five years? What we are most likely to see is something which is at the same time relatively easy conceptually and something which is not endangering the life of the patient. I mean that uh, it's likely that orthopedics um, is the area in which we shall see such progress. Fixing um, a damaged bone, fixing uh, a fractured bone, deficient articular cartilage, maybe muscle. You know, if you want to imagine a cell therapy of a very complex organ as the brain, even the heart, I mean, conceptually, it is very, very complex. 
In the pancreas, for instance, if you want to treat diabetes, it's only one very particular region of the pancreas tissue that you want to target. How will you manage to put the stem cell just at the right location, at the right place, when they will be able to produce the cells, the insulin cells that you want them to produce? I mean, theoretically, it's very, very complicated. Even if you have the right stem cells, how will you actually administer these stem cells? Because the stem cells, they are not randomly distributed. They are localized within very, very specialized environments, uh, which are named the niche, which regulate their behavior, their proliferation, if necessary, their differentiation, etc. So if you just shoot the stem cells randomly in the tissue, the chance that they will actually do the job you want them to do is maybe quite low. A difference, if you consider a broken bone, it's a homogeneous structure, it's relatively simple, with, in the case of a broken bone, a large gap in which you want to implant the stem cells. By the way, they are not free. In fact, you immobilize the stem cell in the scaffold, in a sort of biomaterial. But you see, it looks really, uh, theoretically, much, much simpler to repair a piece of bone. So as compared with other cell therapies, I would say that applications in orthopedics appear to be more accessible. That's very interesting. And I, I know I've heard you and your colleagues talk about this whole issue of tracking stem cells. And once you inject them into the body, where do they go? And, and how do they get to the target location that you're interested in? Yes, yes. I mean, this is this really may be a major problem. If you think also at uh, stem cells in the epithelia, for instance, in the maybe already took the same example with you before, if you want to repair the respiratory epithelium, the epithelium which is lying the airway from the nose to the bronchi, we know that there are stem cells and that they could be extremely useful to treat patients with a cystic fibrosis, for instance, or a patient who have lost their airway to cancer and, you know, to regenerate this. But even if we know what the right stem cells are, how shall we be able to put them back at the right location, which is in the basal layer of the surface epithelium? I mean, conceptually, it seems to me extremely complicated, if not impossible. It's not probably by injecting the cell into the circulation that it will work. So once again, orthopedic, localized administration of the stem cells within mechanically stable scaffold in which you can really immobilize the cells and put them just at the right place where you want them to be useful to perform spine fusion, to repair a fracture. So I would say that it looks much, much more feasible. It makes sense to me. I, I should comment that while you commented about complex organs, it's my understanding that there's been some studies recently that have, by direct injection into the heart and direct injection into the sphincter, for urinary incontinence, for example, as having some success. So, But as I understand it, these are very targeted deliveries. Not saying that the stem cells stay there, but at least they're injected at the target. What's your opinion relative to those particular therapies? One thing that you have to consider is that the stem cells often used in these protocols don't work only as stem cells bona fide, which means a cell which is immature and can give rise to differentiated cells. They also play a role, as Arnold Kaplan names them, drug stores, which means that they secrete factors, sort of hormones, that will indirectly promote tissue repair. So they, pro they, they secrete factors that stimulate uh, blood vessel formation, angiogenesis, which is a key to tissue regeneration. 
The secret factors probably that limit inflammation, which may be also very important in the case of wound healing and tissue repair. And there may secret factors that stimulate endogenous specialized stem cells. So in this case, if you inject them, in fact, you don't inject a cell that you want to reconnect with local cells and regenerate the tissue. You inject a cell that you want to secrete growth factors that will indirectly stimulate regeneration. So it may work, and it works to some extent. Now, we don't know exactly what is the balance between these different effects, direct, indirect, paracrine. It is not very clear. Now, it is true that about 10 years ago, pioneering experiments in humans were done in which cells with very, very little purification characterization were injected into the myocardium after infarction, and this made the reasonable success. And it was encouraging enough to stimulate a lot of enthusiasm, and so people got extremely excited. And following this, many other attempts were made to transplant different kinds of stem cells into the heart directly. Unfortunately, later on, it turned out that there were very severe side effects associated with this, notably arrhythmias. And I would say that the people who, so about 10 years ago, were the pioneers in this practice, now they have changed their opinion regarding the strategy and tactics to be used. And now they uh, more privilege um, an application at the surface of the heart, of the myocardium. So the cells are cultured in a sort of bandage, which is applied at the surface of the myocardium. So do cells migrate into the myocardium? Do they secrete these growth factors that will indirectly help regenerate in the heart? Is not very, very clear. What I mean is that, I mean, the direct injection, as I mentioned earlier, because you do not control at all where the cells will land, may not be the right way to go in the future. So if I could uh, summarize what I've heard you share with us, that while there's been progress both in fundamental science and applied science, there's still a lot of questions that remain from a fundamental perspective. Absolutely. And in fact, what I believe is the real future of stem cell therapies is not to extract the cells, purify the cells, culture the cells, modify them, re-inject them. The real future will be to locally stimulate the stem cells. For instance, we know that all blood vessels are covered with these potential stem cells. So if we find a way to tame these cells to make what is needed in a given condition, to make cartilage or to make bone or to make muscle or to make something else without extracting the cells. You know, just like it is done in the blood system, if you have an anemia, you will be treated with a growth factor. So what does it do? It, in fact, in your body, directly find a way to the place where your blood stem cells are located and it will stimulate your blood stem cells to make this or that that you are needing. So why can we do that in the blood system? It's because we know some of the factors that stimulate selectively these blood stem cells. For the other stem cells, we don't. But imagine, for instance, that we characterize later a factor that stimulates stem cells in the pancreas to make insulin-producing cells, then you shouldn't have to purify the cells, you know, re-inject, because this is so complicated, but we could maybe, just with a drug, directly stimulate these stem cells to repair the tissue, to do the job. 
This is science fiction <laughs> at this moment. Uh, we don't know how to do this, but I think that it's the real future of stem cell therapies. Very interesting. So in addition to advancing the core science relative to this, it seems to me that every organ system or every application needs to be I'll use the word custom engineered. Sure. Absolutely. The best known stem cell of all of them is the blood stem cell because it has been explored for many decades. These cells have been purified to homogeneity in the 1980s, first in the mouse, then in humans, in the early 90s for, for human blood stem cells. They have been extensively used already. They are extremely well characterized. And I would say that these cells are much easier to use than other stem cells because they traffic through the circulation. So if you want to transplant blood stem cells, you just have to make an intravenous injection of the stem cells. It's extremely simple. But if you want to transplant epithelial stem cells or bladder stem cells or gut stem cells, it won't work this way. For a long time, people have risen on the paradigm of the hematopoietic stem cell. But as you say, in fact, it is more complicated than that, and there are many differences according to which stem cell you are actually interested in. And we have to learn the biology of all these different stem cell systems, so it's still a long way to go. Right. So this is why initially when we started this conversation, I proposed that using these multipotent stem cells to treat defects in orthopedics like broken bone or a worn-out cartilage may be what will work first. So Dr. Peo, it's been a pleasure to visit with you again. After five years, I can see there's been significant progress made, and as you've just indicated, there's more progress that's required before some of these technologies mature to the point that they're clinically available. But I congratulate you on the progress that you and your colleagues have made and look forward to an opportunity to visit in some time in the future to see how these things are moving forward. I remind our listeners that we welcome suggestions. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. I thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors this podcast series, and I look forward to another exciting interview the next time we meet. Thank you, and best wishes. Mm-hmm.